if someone comes to me today and they're about to go through a three month protocol with, you know, oncology treatments, well, it may not be three months. It might be a year because of all the differences that their body has to go through, whether or not they've dealt with cachexia, whether or not they've dealt with a lot of nausea and different things as we try and like migrate them, a lot of nutrient depletion based on whatever, you know, even if they're finished with chemotherapy, if an oncologist recommends an immunotherapy drug, okay, well, let's consider what is that depleting? It can be a huge benefit. What is that depleting? What can we look at with that? So it just depends on why different people are coming in. It really does. Welcome to Glioblastoma, aka GBM, a podcast brought to you by the Glioblastoma Research Organization, highlighting stories with GBM warriors, caregivers, medical advisors, and more. Join us this season as we connect with members of our incredible community and have meaningful and insightful chats regarding all things glioblastoma. Please note that any information provided on this show is not meant to treat, diagnose, or prevent any disease, and all information that is discussed in our conversation is what worked for the individual themselves and should not be taken as advice. The information provided in the show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, and you should contact your medical provider and healthcare team with any questions. Welcome back to another episode of Glioblastoma, aka GBM. I'm your host, Amber Barback, and today we are joined by Tiffany Meyer, who is a certified functional oncology nutritionist and who goes by the cancer nutritionist on Instagram. This is an extremely interesting conversation as Tiffany provides her point of view in reference to how she works with her clients and how she uses nutrition to tackle different aspects of cancer. Keep in mind, nutrition is one of these things that can be varying from every single person you speak to. There are so many different doctors, nutritionists, practitioners, and so much more. So please do not take this as medical advice. It's just, you know, how Tiffany works with her clients, how she likes to practice. And I think it's an interesting way to open up the conversation about nutrition in relation to cancer. So without further ado, Tiffany Meyer. Tiffany Meyer, thank you so much for joining Glioblastoma, aka GBM. We are so excited to have you on the show. So thanks for joining us. Hi, it's nice to be here. Thanks for joining. We're super excited to have you here. I'd love for our listeners to get to know a little bit about you, about your background, and what's led you to become a nutritionist, but also someone that focuses highly in, you know, nutritional oncology. So I started off, you know, my adult life, corporate America, standard job, big companies, fluorescent lights, free coffee that was not healthy coffee, <laughs> like all the things, living out of a vending machine for working long hours, just climbing the corporate ladder. You know, I suffered from stuff that I think we tend to think is normal. Like I had chronic migraines, but sometimes honestly landed me in urgent care, suffered from eczema, suffered from adult acne, just things that I think we tend to think is normal and just sweep under the rug. Obviously fatigue, high levels of stress, but I wasn't really worried about me at all. And then when I was 30 in 2013, my mom was having some health issues and went to the doctor and she was having a little bit of trouble with physicians getting her diagnosed. And ultimately within a couple of weeks, she was diagnosed with large cell B non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And within a few weeks, actually, they found a six pound tumor in her small intestines that had like just decayed a lot of her small intestines. So her small intestines ruptured. She was rushed to the ER and she was basically there for 30 days and passed away. And they had started chemo and stuff. But yeah, within two and a half, three months from the time she was diagnosed, she passed away. So I went into asking a lot of whys, asking 
for someone who seemed super crazy healthy to me, like she would add like flaxseed to her organic cereal. I used to tease her about shopping a whole paycheck and how it was silly. And considering how healthy she was compared to me, it was kind of a wake up call to be like, okay, what am I missing? What's going on here? Of course, that led into me dealing with my own health issues and figuring out, oh, okay, this is actually something that's not normal. This can be fixed. This is something that can be managed without medications, without topical creams and everything. I knew as soon as I found it, a foundational nutrition program, I knew I needed, and that was part of my requirements was I knew I needed something to get me into an oncology program, something that would like qualify. So that's how I ended up here. That's so interesting. So, you know, going back to, you mentioned, you know, functional nutrition and, and you know, oncology. Can you first, I think a lot of us would be interested to know what is functional nutrition and how does that tie into oncology? You hear a bunch of different terms. You can hear integrative nutrition, functional nutrition, really root cause nutrition is what it is. So I went and got my initial certification through the Nutritional Therapy Association. They don't offer the exact same program I did anymore, but they do offer an online, I believe it's a 10-month program, where they go through and they address, okay, so let's say eczema. Eczema is a great example. That's something I suffer from, right? So they look at it and they look at food intolerances. They look at the gut health, so the small intestines. You know, is there something in there, whether it's you know, candida or SIBO, some, something going on that's inflaming the gut. And therefore, whether it's acne or eczema or some other type of skin condition, you might see like, yes, they have external irritants to certain chemicals in our body care and everything. But really what fa- foundational or functional nutrition goes back and says is, okay, if it's the small intestines, what's going on with the small intestines? Well, okay, before we can look at the small intestines, are you even digesting your food right? Do you have enough stomach acid? So when you start looking at the human body and you look at functional nutrition, I don't want to just put another supplement in place of a medication or something like that on top of it. I want to go back and actually balance out the body naturally. That's essentially NTA, nutritional therapies approach to things. I have kind of my own version of that as you expand and grow and learn things, but I think it was a great foundational program. And then oncology, if you're familiar with Dr. Nasha Winters, she is huge in integrative oncology, and she and Jess Kelly wrote a book together, The Metabolic Approach to Cancer. Jess created an oncology nutrition program. So I've gone through that. I'm officially certified through her program. And what the metabolic approach does is it's very similar to that foundation functional nutrition approach. But instead of looking at here's digestion, here's blood sugar, here's all these like foundational systems. They look at metabolic systems. So it could be blood sugar, but it could also be the environmental load and the environmental toxins, heavy metals. It could also be inflammation or immune. And so it's, it's very similar, but there's a couple of different ways to look at things. And so the fact that I'm trained in both gives a really cool advantage as to how I look at each individual. So for someone that's just diagnosed with cancer, you know, when do patients typically come to you and what is integrating a nutrition into someone's cancer care happen? What does that normally look like? How does that process work? Yeah. So I have people come to me at all different stages. I have some people that, you know, they get a diagnosis and then either they are like a family member or somebody starts going out there and looking for like, okay, well, what else can we do? What else can we do? Usually, honestly, they're looking for something natural. Like that's what I hear a lot is what can I do naturally? And I'm using finger air quotes because natural isn't always the best definition. So many things fall under the blanket of natural that aren't really necessarily good for you. But right after diagnosis, I see some people who have said like, oh, well, I did what we call like Western or standard of care treatment, chemo, radiation, surgery. I've done whatever the oncology team recommended. 
but now I want to do nutrition. I want to focus on feeling better, feeling healthy. Some people come in remission. Some people come before and say, hey, like my aunt just got diagnosed with breast cancer. They said she has the BRCA gene. What can I do? So I see people at all different phases. What I think a lot of people miss though, is that they come to me thinking that I'm just going to bash the Western system or say, you really shouldn't do chemo or radiation is so bad for you. And that's not what it is at all. Those can be very necessary. Emergency medicine in general is very, very necessary. And yes, in some cases, that might not be the right route for an individual, but for a lot of people it is. So what I'm trained in, to your point, like somebody just got diagnosed with cancer. Okay, well, what do I do? Well, okay, are you doing chemo? Okay, let's say chemo, you're doing that. Let's look at what drugs, you know, typically it's a cocktail of drugs. What drugs are they recommending? How often, what strength, what type of cancer is it? How far along is it? And then I can look and say, okay, well, here's how we're going to tweak your food because we always have to start with food. But then on top of that, maybe there's some supplementation that is specific to you, that is specific to, and I used chemo first because it's the most detailed. There's a million different chemo drugs out there. So what chemo drugs are you on? Because that's going to wipe out some of the things that I can recommend. I see nutritionists all the time that are like, oh, you have cancer? Let's get you on turmeric. Well, turmeric may not be good with a specific chemo cocktail. So let's avoid that. You know, and then you get into if people have their, you know, genetic report available, which a lot of people don't, maybe you don't metabolize caffeine well. So even though green tea extract, again, is a, is a superhuman chemo or cancer supplement that somebody can take, it might not be right for you if I know what your genetics are. So it's playing with those nuances and it's the same with radiation. Okay, well, what can we do to prepare you? before you go into radiation, then we pull you off during radiation. And then what do we bring in immediately after to help support your body? So it is a lot of, whether it's homeopathy, whether it's, you know, traditional supplements, things like melatonin or vitamin A or vitamin C. I have someone right now who said, Hey, like you're recommending vitamin C. Can I go get high dose vitamin C an IV clinic near me? And I said, well, sure, but make sure you talk to them about dosing because I can't administer an IV, so I can't tell you which dosing to do. You need to explain that to them. They become essentially the practitioner at that point. Staying in scope is incredibly important for me, so I always make sure that I educate my clients on what other options they have outside of working with just, I want the whole package for them if they're open to it. Absolutely. And I think something that's super, I guess that stood out to me is that you mentioned there's all these different types of, you know, different supplements and that different homeopathy just from having that gigantic spectrum to choose from. Where do you know where to start? How do you choose where to start? I mean, there's so many different options, whether it's, you know, changing up someone's nutrition and all these different genetic testing. Like, where is your starting point and how does that work? Like I said, it depends on the cancer, how far advanced it is. I have someone right now who has, I'm blanking. I've been saying liver cancer, but I think it's lung cancer. Lung cancer that has metastasized to the brain. And to me as well, it. Age does play a factor in it. So this gentleman is 76 years old and for so long, he's had a scotch pretty much every night for as long as he can remember really. And he he asked me and he asked the naturopath that I connected him with, he said, do I have to stop? And I said, well, let me ask you this. It's all about balance. You're 76 years old. You're perfectly grown. You've had a great life. Is it that important to you that you have it every night? Is it important to you that you have it once a week? Is it something where you, you're electing to go through chemo and radiation for this? So can you wait? Because here's the thing. Both of those things are going to add a lot of burden to your liver. That's just your liver processes toxins, which is what chemotherapy is. So can we wait until you're done with this six or eight weeks or whatever it is? And he said, yeah, I can wait. I can wait. So I always give them the choice. Like what's important to you? Because if that scotch is that important to you and it's a 
a tradition and something that, you know, calms you, if it's going to give you so much anxiety to worry about whether or not you have, like, scotch is not good, right? Like it's a toxin like anything else, but can he have it? Well, he's grown. My job is to educate so that he can make his decision. doesn't matter if he's 76 or have another client who's 24, not oncology, but another client who's 24. And it, do you want to do this thing? Do you want to stay up all night and you know, know that this is going to impact your circadian rhythm and your exposure to sunlight and your sleep, which is, that's your rest and repair. So going to do that, let's talk about practical things like blackout curtains and blue light blockers and things that we label as I guess biohacking, but they're really not biohacking. They're just smart things to do, at least as far as you know my knowledge and everything. Um, biohacking tends to be more like playing with your blood work and synthetics and things. So I don't know. That's just my opinion. But yeah, so it, it's not necessarily the age. It's more like okay, let's take where you are at in your life. What do you want moving forward? And that does play in very differently from a twenty-four-year-old to a seventy-six-year-old. But I always leave that up to them. They have to tell me what they're ultimately looking for. Right. I think there are so many, you know, different nutritionists that have different opinions about every possible which way, you know, someone can, let's say, subsidize what their treatment or what they're doing is, and there's so many fads through social media and different tips. Like, how do you feel about that? How do you feel like fads play into nutrition today? And how do you think it's affected the whole industry and everyone taking advice from it? I think there is a lot of good intention out there with social media. I think there are a lot of people who are doing their best to get advice out there. There's not a lot that I will put out there that is blanket like, hey, you should do this. It's much easier to say, hey, this fat over here, like drinking celery juice every morning, don't do that. That's not really what you want. And keeping in mind that so many people are going to tolerate things differently. I have some people that do great with A2 raw dairy. It's a very specific, you know, whether it's goat or sheep or a certain type of cow. A2 raw dairy, I think is great for people who tolerate it. If you don't tolerate it, I don't want to put a blanket statement out there that says, oh, well, this is the only dairy you should, you know, maybe they do need a little bit of coconut milk. I don't recommend almond milk or certainly soy milk or some of the other things. But, you know, for some people it's okay. Well, if we're going to change, maybe you're vegetarian, which I totally understand where people are coming from. There's so much good education around the reasons for vegan or vegetarian, but I need my clients know, like, if you're going to work with me and you're vegan or vegetarian, I'm going to request that you adapt to eating red meat, even if that starts in a supplement form with organs. Red meat is one of those blanket things where maybe you're not digesting it right. Maybe you have a gag reflex. These are other things, whether it's a zinc deficiency or a B12, there's something out of balance there with the body where we need to fix that so that you can consume and tolerate red meat. But blanketly, that is going to be a requirement in working with me because that is the number one most nutrient-dense food I can get into you. And most people, once I explain it, once especially from a sustainability and from what do you get out of a, a chicken versus what can you do when you buy beef and you know how much further that goes and eating nose to tail, and they go, oh, you're an animal lover and you're still supporting red meat. And yes, I am because I understand that what you can get for the human body out of red meat is more than anything else out there. It truly truly is. So yeah, some of the fats that I see though, is just, uh, and I've seen some MLMs that some multi-level marketings that are swearing by mushrooms that are curing cancer and, oh, please don't say that. And that's the thing. You can't say that you're curing cancer. Like that's a huge, like, unless you are a licensed MD oncologist, even naturopaths, they can't say that they're curing cancer. So to say that someone drank a magic mushroom coffee and it cured cancer, I just don't. 
I think that's a very dangerous place to be in from a legal standpoint. But no, I mean, there's a ton of fads. And I do think, like I said in the beginning, I think a lot of them are well-intended. And I think someone has had success with whatever it is. I had someone ask me specifically about going to Mexico, doing oncology care there, going on a, a vegan diet. I said, well, let's break this down. Are we talking about someone who is eating fast food four or five days a week, someone who has a high stress job, they're working 60 hours a week, they never take time for themselves, they come home, they've got three kids, they're overwhelmed. Are we talking about that person moving away from the standard American life that we value, moving away from their job, even if they work remotely, they're sitting outside on a laptop in the sunshine in Mexico, they're not in some building locked away with you know stale air and everything. So we're moving them away from all that. We're also possibly integrating acupuncture. We're integrating therapy. We're integrating meditation. And we're integrating a vegan diet that has no fast food in it. So is the vegan diet better than the fast food diet? Absolutely. What would happen if we added in red meat to that? You can't play with these studies that say, oh, well, here's an improvement here. Well, sure, there's an improvement. It's still an improvement. It's still better. I'm not saying it's the worst thing out there. But let's talk about the difference between just improvements and what is going to be optimal. So that's where I, I try and give my clients a path of saying, you have to integrate the things you are comfortable with at those phases. Most people don't have the time, the emotional capacity, or the financial means to go through and pull out every body care product, go and buy all new cookware. Like there's so many things besides just food. So we start with food and we start with basics and we look at what is the body doing? Do you need that digestive support? Do you have you know, sugar cravings? Are you hypoglycemic? What can we do in this space? Do you need fat digestion support? Because a lot of people don't digest fat very well and you need that good, healthy fat, You know, especially if we are talking about therapeutic diets, maybe you need a ketogenic diet. So it's, there's so much going on that it really is, like I said, it's about the individual, what's going on with them, empowering them to know that they have options and they get to pick and choose, okay, well, I can handle this right now and I can handle this right now. But giving up that ice cream on Fridays with my daughter, I can't give up that because she loves it and I love it and I need that for my life. Okay, great, go do that. I'm not gonna tell you not to. And so I think that's, you know, you always have to take into consideration that balance and what people are comfortable with. Now, if they find an alternative, if they decide to do homemade ice cream, if they decide to do some other tradition that they can slowly merge, especially when you have kids because kids thrive off these things. I think that's where... It's beneficial to work with someone individually who can tell you where you need to go. And depending on the severity, I mean, some people will say, no, 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 I need an overhaul. Tell me what to do and I'm going to go change everything right now. If you can do that, great. I'll give it to you. But that's, for most people, a lot of change in their life all of a sudden. We'll be right back in just a moment. And now back to the conversation. I think it's so interesting that you mentioned not only the nutritional change, but also the fact that lifestyle is a huge factor. I mean, you mentioned acupuncture and you mentioned being outside in the sunlight. And just from your past experience, how do you feel like those factors play into your practice or what you're doing, you know, with your clients? I mean, I mean not necessarily for someone with cancer, but just, you know, as nutrition as a whole, when you're, you know, working with a new client. I mean, how do you feel like all these additional lifestyle factors make a difference? And what do you feel like is most important that, you know, you've seen has given results to not only, you know, physical, but mental health as well? Yeah. So I always tell people, I do get people who come to me and they're like, well, I have depression, I have anxiety. And 
But I always tell them, mental health is 100% out of scope for me. That doesn't mean it's not a factor. That just means I, like, if you're on medication, whatever, you need to go see your prescribing physician. That's true of any medications. Medication in general, not in scope for me. So work with your provider. But that said, it's important that you work with your provider because as you do make these changes, like we know, you know, scientifically that approximately 85% of serotonin is made in the gut. So if your gut, like I mentioned earlier with eczema, if your gut is inflamed, if it's a wreck, if you have undiagnosed celiac and you're constantly consuming gluten or autoimmune conditions in general, it's not just celiac, like really anybody with autoimmune, which is somewhere in between a third and 40% of Americans now have like some sort of autoimmune. So it's for anybody, uh, I mean, getting some of that stuff addressed, but also, yes, the, the fact of like getting outside and medications, that's where I was going, anxiety, depression. So if serotonin is made in the gut, as that gut heals, you may see some changes in those symptoms related to balancing out your body naturally. And I think too, you know, getting people outside, getting them exposed to sunlight, getting them like just that alone and like taking some deep breaths can be a total change. I tell people all the time who are struggling with digestion, it doesn't mean going outside, but before you sit down to eat, one, you should be sitting down to eat. If you're on the go and eating and running around, you're in a sympathetic state where your body can't do what it needs to do to digest anyway. So getting somebody to sit down for their meals, getting someone to lay on the floor, put your feet up on the couch so that your knees are up above your heart and just take a few deep breaths before you go and sit down to eat because you need to calm down from whatever 500 million different things you were just doing before you eat. I don't do that every time. I'm not saying that. I'm saying like people who are adjusting to the fact that they have to sit down and calm down, that's a really good method for getting them to drop into a parasympathetic state, your rest and digest state very quickly. It's little tricks like that. And it, like anything else, it depends on the client. If I have a client that cannot get away from their computer, I might tell them, hey, put your phone down, go outside, walk around the block, come back in. Because then you're at least getting away from all the EMFs, all the noise, you know, how much time we spend on social media. I see so many influencers, for lack of a better term, on social media that are health professionals that talk about like, you can put your phone down and go to the bathroom. You don't have to take your phone to the bathroom with you. And it's just this crazy thing to think 20 years ago, this wasn't even an option. It's just changed so much that some of it is just habit and some of it's just integration. I mean, my kids, I have four kids, I have three teenagers, and I see them running around all the time. They do not take their wireless earbuds out. They don't. Especially, you know, for you and what you do, this is relevant. Like so much of brain cancer is tied to wireless headsets and hair dye and all all of these things externally that we do. That's a huge factor for brain cancer is environmental factors and the fact that we're just glued to things on our heads all the time. And so I see them, I'm like, hey, like, baby, why don't you just take them out for a few minutes while we eat dinner? <laughs> like, and they're teenagers, so there's only so much you can do before they just completely shut you out. And I don't want to be shut out. So I do little teeny tiny bits of education. That's just one of the things that it's totally normal, whether you're a teenager or whether you're in corporate, like people just don't take them out. And right. so they have this Bluetooth in their head all the time, it just baffles me. I think it's a personal thing. I mean, just because of my father, but like I refuse to, I, I don't sleep with my phone next to my bed. I have it like across the room on the other side. And I also, I don't like having radiation on me. And I think maybe I'm just like a little neurotic about it. But in my mind, I just don't think that it can be good for you. So like Apple Watch, I won't wear an Apple Watch. So I don't want something like on me all the time. And like my AirPods, I put them in for phone calls and I typically take them out. And 
it's challenging because I feel like there's so many different external factors that can, you know, influence something. And again, there's not enough scientific evidence to know what's affecting what I think yet. But hopefully one day we'll get to the point where we know that, let's say, like, you know, having headphones in all the time do lead to something. And, you know, hopefully for all of us that have headphones all the time, it's not going to lead to anything. But again, there's not enough research right now to know exactly what's going on. But that's just my personal, you know, take on it. So it's interesting to hear you say that as well, that you're like, take your headphones out to eat dinner. So my theory on most things that we see go wrong with the human body is that it's not just one thing, right? Like it's not just the Bluetooth, the earbuds, all of that. It's the earbuds plus the fact that maybe you're downing soda every single day and you're getting 30 ounces of soda. And then on top of it, you toss a whole lot of conventional bread on top of it. And then you're not eating organic fruit and you're eating like GMOs and stuff, or like you're doing things that are based on corn and all of those things, which inherently one of those things on its own for most people probably isn't bad. But when you add all of it, when you've got the earbuds, but you're also getting highlights, but you're, which again, I'm not opposed to highlights or earbuds or whatever. It's, are you doing all of those things all the time, constantly and without supporting yourself, without doing anything to counter it. And I don't think people should be on a million different supplements. I don't think it should be a choice of, oh, well, I'm going to take this thing that's an antioxidant for radiation because I just want to choose to have my earbuds in. I think we've gotten so far away from what our primal normal life was. And some of it's great. I mean, there's a lot of technology. The fact that you and I are on a call where we can see each other right now is amazing. But this isn't our day in and day out life. If I was stuck on these calls all day long, that was my corporate life. And I feel so much better and so much healthier, like actually being able to go out and see people and engage. And I, th- I think that's part of the reason why the pandemic was so hard on people. They didn't, and a lot of people still don't feel safe going out and being in the world. And I hope that we see that change because you need that community. Even if it's not your friend, like talking to the person at the grocery store is drastically different than, and I do both, than going online and going, okay, here's my groceries from Thrive Market. They're going to be here in a week. They're both good, but get out and talk to people. Go and be in the real world and walk barefoot outside and get movement in. And I mean, it doesn't have to be, you don't have to go and engage in some crazy barbarian, heavy weightlifting thing to feel primal again. Just take your shoes off and walk outside in the grass for like five minutes. You'll be fine. (laughs) I promise. And I guess sort of reverting back to where, you know, you mentioned particularly about, you know, we're autoimmune and, you know, someone that necessarily should cut out gluten or from what you said as an example that, you know, someone that's autoimmune typically, you know, gluten causes inflammation. And so I guess bringing that back to, you know, not only people with cancer, but people that aren't like if you're so accustomed to a certain lifestyle, let's say doing all these things, I don't want to call them bad habits, but certain lifestyle choices that necessarily, you know, involve not being as mindful. And I'd say, I think mindful is probably the best one. Like, let's say not as mindful in the way that they eat or the way they live their life. Like, how long does it normally have you seen to take for the body to calm down? How does that process normally work to balance itself out again? Depends on the person. And that, I mean, and I'm clear with people too that do want the whole like, okay, I'm going to flip everything tomorrow. I'm going to clean out my pantry. I'm going to go buy all new food. I'm going to do exactly what you said. I'm going to go buy, you know, stainless steel and get rid of my nonstick because that's a factor too. And that's what I mean. Like I can go on and on and on and people get overwhelmed if I were to throw every possible option at them. But too, when people do these drastic changes, they're not going to feel very good for a couple of weeks because they're essentially putting their body in shock by drastically changing everything that they're putting on their body, everything that they're putting in their body. That's why, you know, people who historically haven't 
gone outdoors a ton. And when they have, they've lathered up in a ton of sunscreen. That's just whatever you can get at the drugstore. They're going to burn. If you're the type of person that's going to burn, you're probably going to burn. But I go outside and my daughter goes outside and we eat tallow and butter and red meat and organic fruit. And I mean, that's essentially our diet and organs, liver and heart. And, you know, we take the encapsulated desiccated version of spleen and kidney and pancreas and all these things that I can tell, like, I literally can hear people listening to this going, oh, I would never do that. It sounds gross. Take it in a capsule. You don't even taste it. You don't have to put it in a smoothie. You don't have to just take a capsule. You can eat it from the actual animal too. And I recommend it if you can tolerate it. But so she and I, I mean, she's fair haired. She's a blonde, blue eyed, pale little girl. She's not pale anymore, but she goes outside for a couple hours at a time at the height of the day. And I've never put sunscreen on her. She's not burning. It's taking people who have been accustomed to a certain way of life, or maybe they're on, you know, like a tetracycline, maybe they're on a medication for acne. And so I can't say go spend two hours in the sunlight without sunscreen. There's different things that impact us. So it's figuring out again, how to work with an individual, how to balance out the body and then get them to adapt to changes. Because again, if you change everything all at once, your body's going to go into shock anyway. I definitely don't want people to do that. So it depends on how fast it depends on what our starting line is. Starting with someone who I work with other nutritionists. I get other NTPs who come to me and they're like, I can't figure this out. What can I do? And so I say, okay, you already know the basics. I know you know this. Let's take out cruciferous veggies because you were told that those are going to be super great for your liver. And maybe at a time they were, but now maybe they're pushing your body a little bit too hard to detox. Maybe there's a little bit too much bloating and we take out cruciferous veggies and we take out leafy greens and we take out so many different things and really driving. I think our optimal diet is more of an animal-based, low-toxicity plant diet. So not absent of plants, but really focusing on, if I sit down my, my year and a half old and I give her banana or I give her kale, which one is she going to eat, right? She's going to eat the banana because it's sweet. So it's thinking about those things and going back to that and saying, maybe we are inherently designed to work more towards the sweeter plants that want to be eaten avocado doesn't, you don't really have to, you don't have to slow cook an avocado. It's not like rice, like, right. You're not doing anything to make it taste better typically, unless you're salting it or something like that. So it's going back to the foundations and making things easier. I have people ask me all the time, like, okay, what do you eat in a day? Well, I start off my morning with like ground bison or maybe, you know, some ground beef or something. And I intermittent fast. So then I go into a smoothie, maybe later that afternoon, it's got a little bit of protein in it, but it's a fruit smoothie. There's no greens in it. And then for dinner, we have steak or I'll even do chicken fried steak because they know where our bodies are at. We can handle a little bit of flour and our family likes steak. I fry it in tallow. I don't use canola oil or sunflower oil or even olive oil very often. I'll use some olive oil occasionally, but we're mostly a tallow and butter house. And so once you start making those changes, you know, like I said, working with different nutritionists, once I start tweaking them and getting them away from these other things, almonds, almonds and sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds and all these things that we've been told are healthy and nutritious and paleo, sometimes your body doesn't need it, especially if it's gone through a healing phase. So let's take those out, go back to very, very basic foundations. And it just makes things easier. It doesn't mean it's the perfect solution for everybody. Some people, again, like we'll do homemade sourdough bread. I love doing it, but we don't have an autoimmune condition. So even though the fermentation process should ideally get rid of most of the gluten, I wouldn't recommend it to someone who does have an autoimmune, especially if it's flaring, even if it's homemade, it's just maybe not the best idea. Can they come back to it later when they have been healed and try it again? Sure. That's the biggest thing. You take something out, 
for two right now. I'm eliminating eggs for myself right now, just as a trial to see how I'm responding to things. Taking it out two, three weeks. If I don't see improvement, I'll bring it back in. If I bring it back in and whatever I'm dealing with gets worse, that should tell me something right there. And I tell people that all the time. You don't have to go get food sensitivity testing and spend you know, a fortune on lab work and stuff. I can tell you a lot just from a basic CBC. I like to see a CBC. I like to see what your vitamin D levels are at because we know how critical, especially after the pandemic, it doesn't matter where you fall with all of the news. At the end of the day, we know vitamin D across the board is something that needs to be considered. And most people's vitamin D, honestly, is low. So, you know, CBC, vitamin D, like you're talking about, if you're not insured, a CBC at most is like $25. So you can get a CBC. It'll be okay. And that can tell me a lot about you just right there. So I do look at labs. I do talk to people about their labs. A lot of people come to me with labs. A lot of people find me because their labs, they've been told are normal. And yeah, according to the lab ranges, they are normal, but those are average ranges. Those aren't optimal ranges. So let's get you into an optimal range. So we work a lot with that too, but I can't say it enough. Everybody's different. Everybody comes from a different place. Some people have drastic improvement. I think the average person, depending on how dedicated they are within six months, they should really be seeing things turn around. If someone comes to me today and they're about to go through a three-month protocol with you know, oncology treatments, well, it may not be three months. It might be a year because of all the differences that their body has to go through, whether or not they've dealt with cachexia, whether or not they've dealt with a lot of nausea and different things as we try and like migrate them, a lot of nutrient depletion based on whatever, you know, even if they're finished with chemotherapy, if an oncologist recommends an immunotherapy drug, okay, well, let's consider what is that depleting? It can be a huge benefit. What is that depleting? What can we look at with that? So it just depends on why different people are coming in. It really does. I think it's super fascinating how you, a lot of what you continue to say is that every single person is fully individualized and their treatment should be as well, which I absolutely agree with. It's nice to hear that a lot of what you're doing is so, I guess, client focused on their particular situations. And I, I think it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, you'll look up like what causes cancer or like how to cure cancer with nutrition. And there's so many blanket statements, but hearing you continue to say like, you know, you can look up all these things, but it, it's really particular to each person's situation, I think is, is great and really helpful for a lot of people to know. But that being said, I do have two questions that sort of go back to a blanket statement comment. Yeah. The first one is, I think you, you mentioned nausea. I guess I'm more so just curious. And I think any patient that's listening, are there any, you know, particular things that you've recommended to clients in the past that can help subsidize any effects of nausea or anything that particularly relates to nausea, maybe in like a homeopathic way, which could be more of a blanket statement and not necessarily patient focus that, you know, you've seen to help someone that's going through chemo. There's a couple things. Again, definitely talk with, for anybody who's listening, talk with your doctor, you know, all, all of those disclaimers, if it's right for you. A lot of people do well with a homeopathic remedy, Nuxvomica. That's not even specific to chemo or oncology, just in general, kids got an upset tummy, whatever, as long as it's a safe dose and all of those things. It's NUX Vomica. Nux Vomica can be a great remedy for that. There's a couple other remedies, but that's usually kind of the starting one to see how somebody responds. But then too, especially with chemotherapy, fasting, <laughs> fasting for 24 to 48 hours before a chemotherapy treatment, if they can, is incredibly powerful. The people that I have worked with, I had a woman with breast cancer. She was late thirties, early forties, maybe I can't remember off the top of my head. And the first couple of times she went in for chemo, she was like, oh, I can't possibly, I can't possibly fast. Like I just, I have to eat something. 
So I said, okay, well, let's focus on, you know, maybe some bone broth or maybe something with a little bit of protein, but some fat, like kind of like taking more of the ketogenic approach. In theory, most cancers are going to feed off sugars, which then we look at carbohydrates because we know from an anatomy and physiology standpoint that carbohydrates convert to sugars. You talk about how the body fuels, it can either fuel on ketones or it can fuel on sugars. So fat burning versus sugar burning. So carbs convert to sugars. If you were to take someone and put them on, say, like a carnivore diet, maybe it's a ketogenic carnivore diet where it's strictly red meat, fats, all of those things, ruminant meat. So it could be bison or beef or whatever. They only have protein and fat and maybe trace amount of carbs just because of the nature of how food actually works as opposed to the food label that we see on food. But let's say for all intents and purposes, they are completely devoid of carbs. Well, the body will convert the protein to sugars because that's how the body works. When you look at that situation of, okay, I want someone who's essentially fasted, but not completely fasted, using fat in the morning before a chemo session could potentially be the most beneficial because you're not giving those cancer cells and those tumors, if it's tumor centric, something to feed off of. But in general, you know, like I said, that woman that had breast cancer, the first couple of sessions, she just didn't think she was able to fast. We kept working on nutrition. We kept working on supplements and got her body to shift. And then for her remaining treatments, she went in completely fasted and she was like, no, I feel great. Energy might dip a little bit, but the other one that I mentioned that has secondary brain cancer is metastasized to his brain. He never experienced any nausea with chemo. He never, you know, felt anything other than a little bit of fatigue, which is to me just amazing. (laughs) That's incredible and super interesting. So I guess now not focusing on oncology themed, are there any blanket statements per se that, you know, have seen to have positive effects? Like you said, walking outside barefoot, you know, is obviously good for mental health and kind of getting back to our roots. Do you feel like there are any other just overall things that you've seen that have beneficial effects on the human body, whether they're physical or, you know, nutritional intake wise? Yeah. Sleeping in a pitch black room. (laughs) Okay. Blackout curtains, regardless of whether you live in Alaska and the sun is out for a certain time for, you know, huge periods or my husband used to live in Coeur d'Alene and he said, you know, that there were certain times where the sun was just out for 16 hours or whatever it was. So I mean, we live in the Dallas area, so that's not an issue here, but still we have blackout curtains because even if a neighbor turns on porch lights or, you know, my body just needs, I'm thankful for the flexibility if my body just needs a little bit extra on a Saturday morning. I'm not worried about the sun coming in and waking me up. My body's very much tied into the correct circadian rhythm, meaning my my body wakes up and falls asleep with the rising and setting of the sun. I don't go to bed at like six o'clock at night or whatever, but that's when my body starts to get that signal of, okay, within the next few hours, we're going to go to bed. And so blackout curtains really are huge or whatever you can do to block out light in your bedroom, no nightlights, whatever, red light, if you need it, absolutely. I know some people who have gone so extreme and gotten like infrared, like red light bulbs to replace their normal light bulbs. I haven't done that personally with a little kid who sometimes she sleeps with us in our bed, but sometimes she cries in the middle of the night. And so sometimes I'll get up and leave the room. My husband's a chiropractor, so I don't want him waking up in the middle of the night and having to get up with her and deal with things and then go to work the next day with a whole crazy patients. I'm usually the one who gets up with her and our house is kind of in, in all of our common areas. We have salt lamps, not because it's hippie crunchy, not because it cleans the air, which they do have a ton of benefits. I think it ionizes the air or something, but it's a nice, soft, warm light, which doesn't make her super wide awake when we move into different rooms in the house. So we have salt lamps all over. 
but yeah, that exposure to blue light after the sun has gone down, you know, I think I had mentioned before, blue light blockers can be very helpful with things like that. Being on your phone in bed, you kind of mentioned that you set your phone to five. Within a couple hours of bedtime, you really shouldn't have screen time necessarily. If you want to stay up and watch TV, like, I don't think that's the worst thing. My husband and I watch shows before bed because it's our, it's our time together to just kind of decompress from the day. But I'm still up usually for about another hour after we turn the TV off. But yeah, so it's things like that. It's slowing down. It's, you know, people say it all the time and it sounds so cliche, but like being present, you look at a lot of anxiety and worry and it's usually either someone worried about something that's already happened that's in the past and they're worried about it happening again, which means they're worried about the future, or they just have general anxiety about the future. And it's, if you're just here and you're just present, that'll calm you down a lot. Now that said, there are things like B6. B6 is huge for supporting neurotransmitters. So when I see people who are a little bit more anxious, a little more, I mentioned gut health earlier, but B6 is a big part of it too. So I'm not saying everybody should go out and buy B6. It does come down to supplements with quality and how it's essentially mixed. Like, does it have other things to complement the absorption? Are you even, you know, absorbing it with your stomach acid levels? All of those things come into play. So that's why I think people should work with a practitioner anytime they're looking at these things. But there are lots of little things that can help. But I do think the way that it, that America has run in the last two and a half years, I think stress levels that are at, are at a high, I think getting outside, getting outdoors, getting around people, all of those things are incredibly beneficial. And then protecting and having boundaries to where you do get adequate rest. You're not just trying to get up and run on five hours or four hours of sleep, getting into natural patterns of living, being present really help people a lot. I think it's really interesting you say that. I mean, I know at least for me, COVID, I did well during COVID, you know, I would wake up and I would have a protein shake and I would go for like a 14 mile bike ride, you know, in the sun in Miami. And then I'd go back home and I would like take a bath with like Epsom salt. And then I'd like make a very healthy lunch because I, you know, I, I wasn't working and, you know, financially that, you know, it wasn't the easy, the easiest thing, but mentally I've never been better. And it's interesting now that we're post COVID, I guess, I don't know if we're technically post COVID, but you know, we're reverting back to normal life. And it's definitely, you know, a challenge to try to continue all these wellness habits that I had. And I do see a significant change of how I was feeling when I was doing all this, you know, incredibly healthy and better things for my body and, you know, focusing on wellness where so now we're back to work and, you know, we're doing all these things. So it's good to hear that how much of an emphasis is needed on continuing that for overall health and, you know, not just someone that is going through any type of oncology sector per se. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely interesting to hear. The best way to beat cancer is to prevent it. I just is. And I realized that not everybody has that luxury. The, the gentleman that has a secondary metastasis to his brain, this is not his first cancer. He already has his entire colon removed and from colon cancer, which was completely unrelated to this current one. And it's not his fault. It's nobody's fault that they get cancer. It's not their fault. You know, I see people all the time that think they're doing the right things. I see people who are, especially with the pandemic, we saw people that were honestly really thinking they were doing the right thing and spraying Lysol all over their fruit. That's just not good for anybody. Lysol in general, is just not the best thing to be using as a cleaning product. It's just not. It's a synthetic chemical that has shown to be toxic in certain levels to the human body. And we see that all the time. We see that obviously with, you know, Roundup with glyphosate. We know that there are issues there. There are published studies that anybody can go look up on PubMed. We know for a fact, but they're still in our grocery stores. They're still easily accessible. They're still 
the standard of cleaning and our standard of whatever people need for it. There's good and bad. Like I said earlier, something else that the intention is there. The good intentions are there, but all of this is so relatively new. I mean, indoor plumbing, hallelujah for indoor plumbing, so much more sanitary. I don't want to go back to how things were before, but maybe all of these things, maybe, you know, sticking little Febreze things on the inside of our toilet every time it flushes, it goes off. Maybe that's not the best thing. Maybe that's not really what we need because it is synthetics and maybe it's okay if you don't smell like the perfect perfume, but like, it's okay. And I think we've kind of adapted so much from where we were that it's, how can we tailor it back a little? How can we find a happy medium between all of these modern technologies? It sounds funny to say like Febreze is a modern technology. Right. <laughs> I'm so thankful you were able to come on the show and thank you so much for your time. I think the information you provided is super interesting not just me, but I hope everyone listening as well. If anyone wants to get in contact with you or reach out, what is the best way for them to do that? So people who are interested in working with me specifically, my website, Tiffany Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R, wellness.com. And then people who are just kind of like, hey, can I learn more about you? And I'm not really necessarily looking for a nutritionist. Most of my content pops up on my Instagram, which is the same thing, instagram.com, Tiffany Meyer Wellness. I'm pretty easy to find. You can also search for the cancer nutritionist and you'll probably find me. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Tiffany. It was such a pleasure. And thanks for coming on the show. That's it for this week's show. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another episode of Glioblastoma, aka GBM. To get in touch with our organization, visit us online at gbmresearch.org or visit us on Instagram or Facebook at Glioblastoma Research. Visit us on Twitter at glioblastoma.org or visit us on LinkedIn at glioblastoma research organization. To make a donation to the organization, which is fully tax deductible, visit us online at gbmresearch.org where you can designate your donation in honor of someone or find other methods that you can make a donation with. Thank you again for supporting us, for supporting the show, and we'll see you next week.